You're listening to the Royal Society of Medicine's Digital Health podcast series, where we aim to support healthcare innovation by disseminating knowledge of expert leaders at the Royal Society of Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Marla Morkin. Welcome to this episode of the Royal Society of Medicine's Digital Health podcast series from the Digital Health Council. In this episode, we spoke with Dr. Christine Gutman, one of the top 100 artificial intelligence leaders in the world. We spoke about how AI is the future for healthcare and how data will really revolutionise the way that we treat patients, but not without a culture shift by the healthcare world. Please remember that all views expressed are of the speakers themselves and not of the Royal Society of Medicine. Enjoy. So we're here today with Professor Dr. Christian Gutman, who is a professor of artificial intelligence and did a talk today on medicine in the age of the intelligent machine here at the Royal Society of Medicine. He is the top 100 global AI leaders and we are honoured to have you here, so thank you very much for joining us. Um, Dr. Christian, please tell us a bit about you and your background. Sure, yeah. So thank you for having me here in, in London. It has been a great event so far. Uh, very pleased to give a talk. And yeah, hey, about my background, I have been working with artificial intelligence now for possibly 25 years. Uh, very passionate about the topic. Um, you know, I, I started, you know, studying psychology to understand how we humans make decisions and, you know, how, how we explain our behaviors. And then, of course, also I did a um, degrees in AI and, and a PhD in AI in order to start implementing it and engineering it, right? So one says that you haven't truly understood it if you can't engineer it. Mm -hmm. So I took that challenge on board and, um, and that's certainly something that has carried me forward in, in my career. And then I have been working across the world in in, in sort of three areas. So I mentioned already the uh, scientific area, right? So I did my PhD, postdoc, and you know became an adjunct professor in Australia. Uh, and so that's that's one area. That's the scientific part. Very passionate about you know understanding how you structure new knowledge and you know new developing new algorithms, showing their effectiveness, and you know using it with data or building really intelligent machines that mm -hmm. are perhaps that you can interact with and that are similar to how we are acting. So that's one part. The other part is that I work for, for large companies in the world, you know, like, for example, also for the British Telecom in the, in the Middle East, uh, looking at, you know, healthcare analytics and um, how we're using AI in healthcare. You know, that was one part um, and, and many other big, large companies. And then the third part where I learned a lot is really in the startup world. So I worked for small companies uh, and I created companies, startup companies, actually in the healthcare sector. Um, and that's a different dynamic altogether, right? So these big companies and also the academia, you have big structures and so on. But in the startup world, you have, you, you have much smaller teams, you focus on one problem, uh, you try to get the right funding and then off you go. And, and maybe the last project or the last startup that I built was in Stockholm, in Sweden, uh, where we were helping people with a chronic condition to connect with each other. Uh, and in those circumstances, they would uh, you know, help each other uh, and the algorithms would find the groups in which an individual patient with a particular chronic condition, say, would have the highest chances of succeeding to managing their uh, their, their disease and that's mm. sort of an everyday life rather that's than brilliant. you know. So my question for you really of a professor that could have really gone into any branch of artificial intelligence and uh, why, why did you pick healthcare? Well to be honest I that's certainly my favorite area but perhaps over the last 
few years, two years, um, I've also gotten into more areas. Mm -hmm. So, um, I've, but to your question, you know, why have I chosen healthcare medicine? I, I think it's uh, such an important topic. I mean, there's probably few other things that are more precious than your mental and physical uh, and social health, right? Uh, so personally, I find it very fascinating. I, I guess I'm also a little bit of a, of, a, of a health nerd, you know, trying to keep a good balance, you know, with health and stress and so on. Doesn't mean I always succeed, but, you know, it's a very, very fascinating. And of course, needless to say, um, in my social surrounding, my family and with my friends, uh, it is an important topic and uh, we also had losses in our family due to cancer, right? So, so the, let's say, it's a fact of life, but understanding that and trying to find solutions to, to mitigate, you know, and to see if, if we find better ways of dealing with these uh, situations, I find it very, very fascinating. And fascinating, promising, or is it just a hope, or is it really a reality? Is technology really changing healthcare? Yeah, absolutely. I am extremely convinced that, that that's by, it's by far going to be the biggest changer, biggest game changer. So I'm also associated to the Karolinska Institute in Stockholm, and I just met uh, Ulle Petersen uh, yesterday uh, uh, at the airport, and he's our chancellor, right? And so we launched a digital strategy last year at the Karolinska, and uh, I think it is clearly understood, and by the way, at Monash University in Australia, very similarly, that you need to bring in the digital slash AI competency into the practice. I mean, most young uh, physicians and most young medical professionals, they, they, you know, they, they deal with significantly more technology outside the practice than they do inside. And some people say, slightly ironically, that they leave their digital competency on the doorstep to their practice as a medical <laughs> professional, right? So you want to, uh, that, that, that's definitely going to make a big difference. And there's also this quote, which I sort of like, it's like that medical professionals and doctors and, and medical researchers will be um, replaced by, um, by those that are uh, using AI. So, you know, um, there's this discussion about when and how AI would, you, would replace human experts, uh, but it's generally considered that you are uh, replaced if you don't know these new technologies, right? Yeah, keep up with how the, the game is changing. Yeah, exactly right, yeah, exactly right. Yeah. And do you think that it will be really, I mean, just your opinion really, do you think that it will be medical professionals that will be changing this field and developing it? Or do you think mm -hmm. it will be, you know, outsiders with a new eye changing the game mm -hmm. that we're playing? Yeah, I think it's really both. I mean, yeah. for example, um, uh, um, one of my PhD students, uh, Rafik Mohamad, he's, uh, he's a medical doctor, mm -hmm. physician, right? And he has practiced, uh, he had patients and now he's sort of turned uh, data scientist so he's doing a PhD in his final steps and and he is uh, uh, now essentially building uh, neural networks right Brilliant. so starting to look at that part so you see very um, let's say very uh, ambitious and uh, smart uh, medical professionals actually at any age right that are pushing into this and they're understanding the what data and AI and algorithms mean, they will be fundamentally transforming many parts of, of medical, the medical world. And then of course, since I'm coming from the startup world, uh, and I think we all know there's like plenty of examples of <clears throat> small companies that initially were small and had these, were a little bit like looked down on and so on, but they are starting to be then becoming substantial, right? Mm -hmm. And look at Amazon or Google or you know Facebook, which are now uh, in their size and valuation, like huge, and they are their essence is like based on AI. So those similar things will happen in in, in uh, healthcare and medicine. And perhaps one thing that we want to make sure, or want to, I think it's in all our interests, is that we in Europe 
uh, are having a uh, strong drive and create that platform in which mm -hmm. we can create these new technologies. Are we behind? Are we behind in Europe? Uh, that's a good, I try to be <laughs> keeping an optimistic uh, uh, focus on that. I think, yes, in certain areas, very much. So particularly in the consumer uh, sector, like I mentioned earlier, the American companies and also the Chinese companies have a massive heads, head, uh, you know, they, have, they are ahead. And, um, and that means that the talent, I mentioned earlier in my talk also, that we have this, we are net exporter of AI talent and technolog technological talent. So they go to Silicon Valley and Boston and to, you know, Shenzhen and China and so on. And we're not keeping them here. No, we're not keeping them here. And we need these landmarks projects, these lighthouse, uh, lighthouse projects, right, to keep talent. I mean, I remember clearly when I started studying a long time ago, there were some extreme, the most talented in the class, they said, you know, I want to work somewhere where I can send robots to the moon. <laughs> and, then, and then I said to that person, oh, can't you do it here? I said, nah, it's not in <laughs> Europe, it's not possible, right? So, so we need to create an, a framework in which we have the most talented people that feel like they're really moving the needle. They are solving cancer, you know, they're curing cancer through AI data science. They are developing new space, space uh, crafts, you know, that are mm -hmm. making it to far distances in the, you know, in, in space and so on. So it needs to be really, so we are a bit behind and um, let's see if we can catch up. So lots of discussions around that. But do you think the NHS as a public body could actually keep up with it? Mm. So we have actually worked with um, customers, let's say, in, the, in this sector. Uh, similar to, you know, the NHS. And NHS is obviously a very large body overlooking many functions, but I can, I can point to situations where it was understood that such big bodies cannot keep up alone in creating mm -hmm. such a basis, right? In creating an environment which ticks all the boxes, you know, being able to do all the data integration, collecting relevant data, uh, developing tools like, you know, I have a little finger that I'm showing the podcast listeners cannot see it perhaps, but I have a ring around my finger and collects a lot of data about my, you know, temperature and heartbeats and all these things. So, so I don't think one central body can overlook these innovative um, approaches and it's a question of finding the right partners in the system. And also, I think for an, for an NHS, and that's not just NHS, but obviously similar um, entities, they need to create, they need to continue creating um, an environment where people are not thinking very risk adverse. Mm. They need, there's always this question of risk, which I understand, appreciate and respect. And it's, by the way, the same in, in Europe. But you need to look and change your mindset towards opportunity. What are the opportunities that you can create? And I think if the NHS is enabling such a mindset, it will solve problems such as who should be our right partners? Uh, you know, what should be the frameworks? Rather than thinking first, ah, what, are the, what are the risks? That, this is usually, by the way, I compare it then also to Silicon Valley. This is usually not the first question an entrepreneur asks themselves there, right? If you create an Uber and Google, and of course, admittedly, they are different technologies, but they're not asking themselves in the, in the beginning, oh, what is sort of the regulatory framework? What are the risks? <laughs> like, what are the opportunities? Can we cure? Can we, can we do great things in the medical area, right? So, so what um, are going to be the big things to look out for in the future? Where do you think is mm -hmm. uh, the next 10 years, let's say, what are the big advances that you would hope to see coming out? Mm -hmm. so, uh, so I think there are very many areas, right? So we mentioned briefly in the talk also that first you need to understand the, let's say, the combination, the intersection of AI 
and the medical field uh, with the thought that there are many intersections. You know, I mentioned robotics and <clears throat> natural language processing and machine learning, machine perception and so on. And so in practice, it would mean that you will and have already approaches where in the US where you have many, uh, many uh, nationalities and people speaking different languages, you use already these machine translation, right? Mm. That is probably going to be a big, uh, a big contribution. Also in Europe, we have many languages obviously here, right? To start using AI to translate documents. When you go to the doctor that, you know, there's seamless interaction of, of, uh, of speech, right? Uh, in native languages. So um, that will be one big area that we will see in the next few years. I can, of course, point to the one that everyone probably knows already, most of the podcast listeners and uh, people in the uh, members in the RSM, which is radiology and pathology. So when you start having lots of data and detecting abnormalities with the right data set, you can not only speed that up dramatically, but also uh, create much higher accuracy. Mm -hmm. And if you then combine that with a clinical expert, these systems, they are far superior when it comes to the, uh, the impact there. Um, I would also think that you know the robotics area, which is already much more adopted in the Asian countries, in Japan in particular, uh, they're embracing that concept of having a care robot in the hospital more than the Europeans tend to do that, I would say. Uh, uh, so we have examples in Sweden and Stockholm at the Karolinska Hospital, for example, where we use a robot that looks after kids that have diabetes, so you know diabetes type 1, and they, they use these robots to teach them very, let's say, okay. seamlessly in their daily, and they have, you know, uh, it's called Dagis in Sweden, when they go to kindergarten and stuff, right, to, to seamlessly teach them what to do. So this interaction between robots and systems and kids uh, around healthcare education will have a big impact also. So I think there's, a, I could go on and on, there are dozens no, of No, no, it's so interesting <coughs> and, and, I, and I thank you for all of your insights here. I think the, the last question I'm going to ask you today, the challenge. Mm -hmm. what, is the, what is the one thing that might stop, really, all mm -hmm. of this exciting progress mm -hmm. that we really need to tackle? Yeah. Do you think it's talent? Do you think it's... Um, the availability mm. of the data, if you could just mm. pick one, your yeah. top one. Yeah, I mean, there, there's obviously quite a few yeah. <laughs> out there. But um, I mean, yes, talent, I bring this up, that is definitely something you need to look at. But I start realizing that it's a bigger, bigger challenge around culture. So how do you, how do you start um, as any institution whether in the healthcare system or as an individual doctor, how do you change your mindset around what data can do, that it is an important tool in the way how you can start doing good for a patient, right? So, so that requires a mindset change for NHS, for hospitals, for clinics, for medical doctors, for the, uh, for the uh, universities that are teaching medicine. And the, creating this culture is not easy. So I, I recently talked to uh, representatives from Google and from uh, big American companies. It takes some decades to get there. It's not something you just lay out there and say, oh, our new mission is how we use data to, to <laughs> diagnose patients, right? So culture is probably uh, a big thing that will hinder us uh, if you don't get it right. Well, let's, let's keep our fingers crossed then yeah. and uh, hope for the future. But thank you so much for giving up your time today. Um, I really appreciate your time talking and I know the listeners will too. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the RSM Digital Health podcast series from the Digital Health Council. 
Please remember that the views expressed in this podcast are of the speakers themselves and not of the RSM. You can continue to follow us on this podcast and tune in to the next episode. And also we'd love to have you down at some of the Digital Health Council events at the RSM, which you can find out more about at www.rsm.ac.uk. And we've put the links in the podcast description too. Bye for now.